Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. have a friend with us this morning. The timing was just right uh, for our friend Linus Morris uh, to be here today. Linus, we go back about, uh, I guess, 20 years now, maybe even a little further, uh, back when he was a young man and I was younger. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? Linus is from Pacific Palisades, California. He has been a church planter, uh, taught in seminary. Uh, he's still out teaching and raising up leaders all over the world to plant churches. Uh, when he leaves from here, he and Doug, our own Doug Dorman over here, will be headed to Brazil. And uh, Linus is one of the missionaries we've been supporting for a very long time. Uh, he's a dear friend, and we are blessed to have him here. Would you welcome Linus Morris, please? Well, good morning, Seacoast. Good, uh, good to be here. And uh, as as mentioned, we're about to head to Brazil. And uh, Doug, where are you? Doug, Doug, there he is, Doug. And, and who's sitting next to you? Oh my gosh, it's his family. That whole section is his family. <laughs> so Doug, Doug and his children. So uh, we're, we're excited about the training we. Uh, we fly into Sao Paulo, Brazil. We spend a night. Then we go to a place called, we fly into a place called Florianopolis. And then we start our training there. We, we have four phases of training. And uh, the, the goal of our training is at the end of this, these four phases, which we, we roll out over a period of time, uh, is to multiply viral missional church planting movements. And so like uh, you, Seacoast uh, Vineyard, we, we think that church planting is, is how the kingdom is meant to, to spread and, and then uh, reach, more, reach out to more people. And uh, it's one of the most effective ways to, to just, just connect people to the kingdom of God, to, to Jesus and the good news of the gospel. So we have these four, four phases of training, and uh, uh, each phase has four layers of leadership development. So... We, we call it getting in the way and getting out of the way. So uh, by the time that we go through all four phases and these four layers of leadership development, the leaders that we're training can do what we do. And uh, our first phase, we, we, we call it the, the divine expedition. Where are you in the book of Romans? Some of you have been through the seminar that we've done here or the, or the, the classes that Doug has led uh, using uh, the book that I wrote with my son called The Divine Expedition. And it's the idea that Romans is an intentionally sequential, sequential map of how we're meant to progress spiritually, how we can progress spiritually, but also how we can engage effectively in reaching out to the community around us. So Paul was a master strategist. And so that, that's our phase one. Now, now we, we will do phase one in a city where the first time we do it, the leaders that come, and we, we hand-select them, and we, they're called participants. So they come. It's a workshop format. They engage with us. 
And then the next time we do it, we do it in a new city. So we go back, we do it in a new city. So uh, this is our second trip to Brazil. And so when our first stop, we'll do phase one in a new city. And uh, we're actually doing it with a church that's called the Snowball Church, Bola de Neve uh, in Portuguese. And it, it was started by a group of surfers, and it, and it snowballed. The church snowballed, so they called it the Snowball Church. So we'll do our phase one training there. Now, some of the people that were part of our training when we did this in May in, in a different city to farther south near Porto Alegre, they will come and instead of being participants, they will be contributors. And then the next time we go, we'll go to another new city and we'll do phase one again. And the people that come will be co-presenters, the leaders that we're developing. And then the fourth time we do it, and we just did this uh, in, in uh, Uganda. We just, we just went for the fourth time, and in our phase one training, the Ugandans did all the training, and we were just there to support them, to coach them, and, and now they're planning to roll this out in new cities. Now we have to go back and do phase two and phase three and phase four with the goal that all of this uh, results in the multiplication of leaders and, and, and more churches. So that's what we're about. We're looking forward to it. And of course, I'm grateful to Seacoast for being a part of what we're doing, uh, supporting us, uh, encouraging us. My friendship with Tim, uh, my friendship with Karen. Uh, I, actually, my wife will be here third service. But uh, I, you know, we just feel like we, we have the same DNA. We have, we have the same heart. Uh, that we're co-laborers. And so Tim has not only been a, a friend and a co-laborer, but he's also been a mentor. You know, we, we talk about theological things and biblical things and books that we've read and, you know, and, and, and all kinds of ministry kinds of things. And, and I, I've even, from a, on occasion, asked him about some family things. And, and one of the things I've asked him is, you know, Tim, how did you raise Jason to be so polite? I mean, such a nice guy. If, you, if you've met Jason, of course, he led worship here uh, in, in times past. And, and he said, well, Linus, uh, whenever Jason got out of line, uh, I just took him for a ride in the car until, un <laughs> un until he calmed down. So what, what, what's the speed limit there? 30, 35. And there, there's, there's Jason. <laughs> Yeah, I think they're going 99 miles an hour. Just a little car ride to calm him down. So way to go, Tim. Thanks for being such a good mentor in the family sphere. Well, this morning we want to we look at uh, three parables or three stories. Jesus told a lot of stories. He was a master storyteller, and we call them parables because they had a point, they had a, a meaning that you had to look for behind the, the, the story. And and in Luke chapter uh, 15, and, you know, there are three stories that Jesus tells and that they really point to the motivation behind what we're doing, what, what we're doing in going to Brazil and our training and wanting to multiply churches and leaders. And, and what I know that uh, Seacoast is about, what you're doing in, in, in not only here and reaching out in this community, but, but starting new churches. And, and the, these three stories point to that underlying motivation, and, and I'm... You know, many of you are familiar with it. The, the first story tells them in rapid succession. And the first story is about a man who had a hundred sheep, and he lost one of the sheep. One of them wandered off. And so uh, you, you, you know the story. He said, well, I wonder, 
what happened to one of my sheep. They're, you know, counting them. They're, I thought there were 100. There are only 99. One of them must have wandered off. And so he begins to think about it. And he says, well, okay, but I've still got 99, so uh, I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, uh, it'll show up. Or if it doesn't, well, that stupid sheep, uh, you know, whatever happens to it, it deserves anyway. And doesn't that sheep know that there are wolves out there, there are dangers, and well, it will serve it right. Uh, it'll deserve what it gets. Remember that story that, that, that Jesus tells about the man who had a hundred sheep? Well, that's not quite how it goes, is it? I mean, that, that's probably how I would have told the story. But, but Jesus tells it a little bit differently in, in chapter 15, verse 3. It says, he told them this parable. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep, loses one. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Well, then Jesus turns around and he tells another story, a second story. It's about a woman who had 10 silver coins. You know that story? And she, and she loses one of the coins. It's like this is probably her life savings, probably her re retirement, the money that she's going to rely upon when she can't work anymore. But she loses one of them. And you remember what she does? Uh, she says, hmm, I wonder what happened to that coin. Wow, that's too bad. Well, I'm sure it will turn up. Uh, and I've, uh, I've still got nine. I've still got nine coins, so I'm good. And uh, I've got a lot to do. I'm busy, and so I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, I'm not going to stress out about it. Uh, I'll just, you know, just see what happens. Remember that story that, that Jesus tells? I, I remember losing a $20 bill once. Young in my marriage, I, I've been married about three and a half years. We were in training. We didn't have very much money, and, and uh, we were training for ministry. And, and I, I remember tearing our house upside down and inside out looking for that $20 bill. I mean, I looked in things, and I looked under things, and I looked on top of things, and I went down in the sofa, and, you know, every possible place, and, and I, I never found that $20 bill. In fact, I, I'm kind of wondering here, does anybody here <laughs> have a $20 bill on them? Anybody here? I, I can see guilt written all <laughs> over your faces. Nobody's raising, nobody's admitting they have a $20 bill, and I know there's somebody here who has a $20 bill. That's probably my $20 bill. I've been figuring this out. But, well, actually, I, I kind of thought that maybe my wife uh, spent it, found it, spent it frivolously, like something like milk for our baby or you know, something like that. I couldn't believe she would do that. But I've never found that $20 bill, and it still bothers me. Well, you know, uh, Jesus uh, tells about this woman in verse 8. She says, now, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I've found my lost, 
$20 bill or my lost silver coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then Jesus turns around and he tells a third story about a man who has two sons and he loses one of them. Remember that story? His son comes and says, Dad, I, I, I'm tired of living under the restraints and rules of this family, and I want whatever's coming to me, whatever inheritance I have, and I'm taken off. I'm going to do my own thing. And, and you know the story that he goes off into another country, probably a place like Europe, and he parties, and he eventually just squanders his the money that he has, and finally, in desperation, he gets this job, you know, slopping pigs. Now, in the Jewish culture, that would be about the lowest job that, that you could get. And he's, 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 he's uh, watching the pigs eat their slop, and he realizes they're eating better than he is. And it says that he came to his senses, and he decides to go home, and and he thinks, well, maybe my dad would hire me on as a, like a hired, you know, give me a job of some kind, uh, you know, construction or, or cleanup or something. And so he, he goes, begins to go back home. And you know that story that Jesus tells, and the father sees him while he is far off. And then he quickly turns and goes back into the house, and he closes the shutters, and he locks the door. And the son comes, and he knocks. And he knocks, and he knocks. He said, Dad, Dad, it's me. And finally the door cracks open just a little bit. And the father says, what are you doing here? Now, how dare you come back to this house after what you've done to your mother? Do you realize how much you hurt your mother? Do you realize how much you embarrassed me and humiliated me in front of my friends, in front of our neighbors and our family by what you did. Don't call me dad. I don't want you on this property. I want you out of here. And if you don't get out of here, I'm going to call the police. Remember that story? Some of you know that story. That's been your story. You've experienced that, that kind of harshness and criticalness and anger. And maybe you've blown it, maybe you've messed up, but that's not how Jesus tells the story, is it? In Luke chapter 15, verse 20, it says that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. And you get the idea that the, that the father is kind of walking the property and, and maybe every morning, every day, just kind of looking out in that horizon where he saw his son depart months earlier, maybe years earlier. And one day he sees this figure of someone coming and he recognizes the walk. He recognizes the movement. And, and he's filled with compassion and, and, you know, and he does something that's very undignified in that culture. And the father pulls up his, you know, his garment so that he can run. And he runs to the son. And he kisses him. 
And the son is saying, the son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm just hoping I could get a job as one of your servants. And his father's not even listening to what he says. It says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. And of course, there's more to that story. There's another brother. But what do these three stories have in common? Well, first of all, in every story, there's something of value that's lost. But notice, notice how the three stories fit together. How that there's an increase in percentage of what's lost. In the first story, there's one out of a hundred. That's just one percent. In the second story, it's one out of ten. That's ten percent. In the third story, it's one out of two. Notice the increase in percentage of what's lost, but also the value of what's lost. In the first story, it's a sheep. Sheep has value. But in the second story, it's a silver coin of greater value. And in the third story, it's the story of a lost son. How much value would you put on that? And, and then notice the context of these three stories. In Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, it says, the beginning of Jesus telling these three stories, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, tax collectors, people that have ripped other people off, sinners, people that have messed up their lives in this way and that way and the other way. And these are the people that Jesus was hanging out with and these are the people who were drawn to, to Jesus. But it was the religious people, the, those who were rigid and and rules-oriented and strict and harsh that had a problem with that. You know, he's welcoming sinners. He even eats with them. And then Jesus tells these three stories. Do you see? See the context? See the power of what he's done? You know, he, and he's, you know, the story of one out of ten. The story out of uh, one out of a hundred. Then one out of ten. And then one out of two. A sheep, a silver coin, a son. So... What's the, uh, what's the point? Something of value is lost. And in every story, there's a concern for it to be found. There's even a search. You know, the father even is, you get the idea that he's looking, longing. And when there's a discovery, when, there, when what is lost is found, there's rejoicing. And what's, what's the point? The point is that God cares about the lost, cares about the sinners and publicans, the people who have messed up in different ways. In a little bit later in this, in this book, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus tells us the purpose of his mission, the purpose of his coming, the purpose of his sacrifice. He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And you might uh, forward a couple slides here. There's a concern for it to be found uh, kind of going forward on the slides. 
uh, back in, I went to Founders Rejoicing. Uh, the third, next slide, uh, I'm just kind of seeing if we're, then the next one. What's the point? Keep going. God cares about the lost. There it is. The Son of Man came to seek and to save uh, that which was lost. Well, that's what our training is, is about. That's the motive behind our, our training. I, uh, f for many years, I lived in Europe, and that uh, was the motive of our living in Europe is we planted churches. Uh, we lived in Geneva. We lived in Amsterdam. We planted churches in both those places. And I led an organization that planted some 50 churches over the next 25 years. And but living in Europe, you know, you had this tremendous sense of the lostness of Europe. And a lot of people said to us before we went to Europe, why are you going to Europe? Europe's already had its chance. You know, Europe's not open. But we, we saw that people were, were hungry spiritually. People were lost uh, spiritually. And, you know, nobody depicts that better than, than Vincent van Gogh. You know who Vincent van Gogh is, the artist and... He was an impressionist, expressionist. I, 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 he, he's my f favorite artist of all, all time. And living in Amsterdam, where he started out, he was Dutch. Uh, we've, you know, on different occasions, visited the Van Gogh Museum. The Dutch call him Van Gogh because of G and a H sound uh, in, in, in the Netherlands. And, and uh, Vincent Van Gogh was, was kind of messed up. Uh, he... Uh, was a bit impulsive and compulsive and, and uh, very intense in what he did. And he had a couple failed uh, relationships, uh, didn't work out. And, but he, had, he, he was a Christian, and, and he uh, decided to be a missionary. And he was trained, and he was sent by the uh, Dutch Reformed Church to a mining town in Belgium. It was very poor, a very impoverished place. Uh, they called him Christ of the Mine. And uh, he exhausted himself in, in ministry, but then there was an explosion in the mine, and a number of the miners, the men, were killed. And, and so uh, Van Gogh threw himself even more feverishly into trying to help the families that had lost their, their, their providers, their husbands, their fathers. And he gave away everything that he had uh, except one, one suit of clothes and uh, a chair and a bed. And the, the, the head of his mission came and saw him in this exhausted, destitute condition. And they were appalled. And they uh, actually uh, chastised him and said, Vincent, you are an embarrassment to our, our mission. You're a Dutch Reformed Church, very you know, rigid. And, and uh, so they f fired him. They said, you're no longer part of our, our mission. And, and, and Vincent was, was de devastated and, and he didn't know what to do. And he, he just, for several weeks, he just kind of walked around lost. And, and, and finally, just to have something to do, he began to paint. He was 27 years old. He lived another 10 years before he took his own life. Age at age uh, 30, 37. And I, uh, thinking about Vincent, one, one point I was you know, listening to a song that was written by Don McLean, 
Uh, we probably, most of us think of it as Starry, Starry Night, you know, that, that song. And it's actually, the name of the song is Vincent. And it's written about Vincent Van Gogh. And I was listening to a Josh Grogan version of it. And uh, I began to download uh, pictures of, of Van Gogh's paintings in those 10 years. Everything you, you think of all that he produced was produced in a 10-year period. And I began to sync those paintings with this song and that, that just capture the lostness of Vincent Van Gogh, that he got lost along the way. And, and you know, how lost uh, people are today. And so I'd like for you to watch this w with me and listen to the to the song. Starry, starry night Paint your palette blue and gray Look out on a summer's day with eyes that know the darkness in my soul Shadows on the hills Sketch the trees and daffodils Catch the breeze and the winter chills In colors on the snowy linen land Now I understand what you tried to say to me And how you suffered for your sanity And how you tried to set them free They would not listen They did not know how Perhaps they'll listen now Starry, starry Flaming flowers that brightly blaze Swirling clouds in violet haze Reflecting Vincent's eyes of china blue Colors changing hue Morning fields of amber gray Weathered faces lined in Soothed beneath the artist's loving hand Now I understand What you tried to say to me And how you suffered for your sanity And how you tried to set them free They would not listen They did not know how Perhaps they'll listen now For they could not love you But still your love was true And when no hope was left inside On that starry, starry night You took your life as lovers often do But I could have told you, Vincent this world was never meant for one as beautiful as you.
wonders that you've met The ragged man in ragged clothes A silver thorn, a bloody rose Lie crushed and broken on the virgin snow Now I think I What you tried to say to me And how you suffered for your sanity And how you tried to set them free They would not listen They're not listening still Perhaps they never lost have gotten lost along along the way uh, maybe some of you are here this morning and you're you're lost and I know what it is to be lost I know what it is to have messed up my life and messed up my marriage and be on the verge of divorce and just have a great emptiness in my life I was 20 23 years old when I came to Christ and begin to begin to follow him and and understand that God is a loving Father. Uh, you know, sometimes this last story, the third story that, that Jesus tells, is called the parable of the prodigal son, of the wandering son, the lost son. But it's really the story of the parable of the loving Father, uh, who who searches for us. Uh, you may be here this morning, like that prodigal, that you've lived recklessly, that you've blown it. And our Heavenly Father has seen you while you are far off. And he runs and is running to you to embrace you and to kiss you and to put on the family ring to be to claim you as one of his children, a child of, of, of God, of celebrating. Heaven celebrates as you as you respond. And you may have grown up thinking that God was far off or harsh, judgmental, or critical, the God who shuts the door and pulls the shades. But Jesus pictures God in a different way, doesn't he? He gives us the true picture of God. He, he gives us a true picture of the extravagant love of God for you and for me. A God who forgives the guilty. A God who acquits the undeserving, a God who seeks the lost, who seeks you and me. Well, there's one last last point, and as we lo- look at these three stories of something that was lost, the search that was made, the rejoicing when it's found, and that's that God wants us to seek and to save the lost. That's what we're called to do. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. That's our mission, isn't it? That's that's what Seacoast is about, is seeking and saving, rescuing the lost. That's what church planting is about. That's what your mission, my mission is 
And we are made for mission to seek and to save the lost and tell them about the extravagant love of God expressed through Jesus Christ in his coming, his risking. Look how he risked with the powers that be, you know, to be out of favor with them, to give a true picture of God. And, you know, he was killed and crucified for it, but he didn't, his life wasn't taken from him. He gave it up for our sin that we might be reconciled to God, reconnect with God. He is the one who came and was in doing the seeking on the behalf and the saving on behalf of the Father. Will you pray with me? We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.